Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Modus for Ministry. This is episode 71 of the show, so we're nearing that 100 mark. We're only 29 episodes, or yeah, 29 episodes away from that. So we got a long ways to go, but that's just something to worth note. Today's episode, we'll be talking about in the Indy Road Course versus the Indy Oval. What should stay, what should go. We'll be previewing the IndyCar title battle with, I believe, four races left to go in the season. And we'll be talking about the breaking news from yesterday morning of Fernando Alonso going to Aston Martin in 2023. So, with that being said, let's begin by talking about this. And I just want to say one thing. Is that, you know, NASCAR fans make no sense. They're probably one of the biggest fan bases that can either deter, can either go one way or another. It feels like when one thing is gone, that they've been asking to be gone for so long in place of something else, they will still complain after that. They're literally one of the... I know most sports bases are like this, but NASCAR fans are probably the biggest when it comes to that. You know, you say you want one thing, they give it to you, and then they're like, oh, I actually I don't want that. I don't want that one specifically. Which is one thing that people say, and I personally stand by, which is say, never take a NASCAR fan seriously because he's probably going to change his mind once what he actually wants is announced. But... There have been multiple examples of this. I mean, you know, more road courses on the schedule. And NASCAR has more road courses. Oh, we don't want that many road courses. One more short tracks. LA Coliseum for the class. Oh, we don't want it that way. So it's like, you get what you want, and you still complain. Here's an idea. Just shut up and enjoy with what you got. If you don't like it, either be more specific or don't say anything. But anyways, those are multiple examples, and that's my little mini rant there because that's a little bit of a bother. But anyway. One example of this is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And they complained, and even I did, complained for years and years and years on how the track is terrible, the attendance is terrible, the racing sucks, you know, no one is coming to the race. Let's just get rid of this track altogether. And at the time, I remember this, they were saying, let's go to either IRP or let's try out the road course. There were fans out there that said that they wanted to try out the road course. In fact, back, I believe it was in 2019 or 2020, when IMS was going to have their first road course race for the Xfinity Series, fans were even saying, hey, let's try to put the cup cars on there also. And then NASCAR did that beginning of last year. They moved it from the oval to the road course. And what the fans started doing, they started to complain as they always do. They were saying, oh, this takes away the prestige from the brickyard. This removes a crown jewel. This feels like an average race. Even though this is literally what they wanted, been asking and begging for for multiple years. But it had me thinking, what truly would be more beneficial? Or what do I think would be better? The Indy Road Course or the Charlotte or the the Indy Road Course or the Oval or Rectangle or whatever you want to call it. So, let's take a look at both of them and let's see the benefits and the, and the non-benefits. Let's take a look at the Indy Road Course. The past two years, I'd say the racing has been pretty fantastic. From a pure racing perspective, I mean, think about it. The racing has been great. Yeah, there's been a lot of turmoil. We'll get to that on the negative side, but... I mean, no one's ever dominated a race at the Indy Road course before. And if they have, it's not like they've been dominated by like five seconds. There's always action all over the track. It's actually a pretty decent road course for stock cars, minus that turn one turn. But overall, I mean, the track itself has lent itself to stock car racing very well. Now, 
what are some dis disadvantages? This isn't something maybe you can argue it is for the road course, but I would argue, you know, going off of this here, I think it's more of a driver problem why you're seeing this race turn into a clown show. Now, what do I mean by that? So, last year we had the issue with the curbing, which that was a track issue. However, they did end up removing the curb, and we haven't had that problem this year. So, that while that is a track issue, that is one of the past. We haven't had that this year. Now, what do I mean by a driver issue? Let's go back to 2021 with Denny Hamlin versus Chase Briscoe. Denny Hamlin trying to go for his first win of the season and trying to get a chance to win the regular season title. And then you got Chase Briscoe, home track, trying to win to make it into the playoffs in a must-win situation. And let's just say this. I already talked about this throughout multiple episodes, and I will mention again here, but there's a lack of driver respect. And you saw it in 2021. Chase Briscoe... He cut the corner, clearly. You can argue that Denny Hamlin pushed him off, but at the end of the day, Briscoe still cut the corner and he still tried racing Denny Hamlin. You can make the argument that Briscoe didn't know that he was going to get penalized, but if you knew the rule book before you entered, I mean, you know they talk about this in the driver's meeting before the race, so you know the rule, you know what you did, you have a 99% chance of getting penalized, and Briscoe just kept going and going and going. To me, that's at a point where you should realize that you're going to get penalized. So while people might say, that, oh, Briscoe wasn't told that, that's just incompetence from the driver, in my opinion. I just think Briscoe was being, was being incompetent at that moment. And furthering my point, he spun out Denny Hamlin. So not only was he going to get penalized, but then he spun out the race leader. Denny Hamlin would have won the inaugural Brickyard Road Course race had Chase Briscoe not have spun him. And let me tell you something, I don't think Denny Ham was very happy about that moment. But that's a driver respect issue. But that's just with the entire young generation of drivers as a whole. Maybe besides Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, and Ryan Blaney, you can even argue Kyle Larson a little bit with his antics at the beginning of the season. You know, these young drivers, they don't care. They don't care about respect. They just want to win. And you can really thank Joey Logano for that, which, speaking of a clown show, let's go on to the second race, where Joey Logano in... One of the most boneheaded, negative IQ moves I think I've ever seen a driver do. And honestly, looking more at races like this, so when we're older, when we view things in a different light, you see a crash when you're young, you're a kid, and you're like, oh, it's a big spectacle. You see the bright flames, you see, it looks amazing. But then when you're older, you're like, you start diving deeper into it, and you're like, what the hell are they doing? Or you think to yourself, man, I hope he's all right. And in the case of Joey Logano, in that, you know, lack of attempt or lack of competency in that race at the IMS road course with the, the second to last restart, that's what I'm talking about. That's not only a lack of respect, and that's a lack of intelligence from a driver. But that's not the track's fault. That is, and just to go a little bit off on a tangent a little bit, the more I see Joey Logano race like this, the less and less respect I have from him as a driver. Because I'm sorry, Logano, but you're not in any position to win the regular season championship. Then again, no one really is. You're, I think, 7th or 8th in points, so you'll get one point at most in the regular season. You were 13th or you were mid-pack, so why did you think it was worth it to dive bomb turn one when you know you weren't going to make the corner and use up three cars. 
I truly mean this when I say it. I think Joey Logano needs to get his ass kicked. Because he's going to keep doing this over and over again. And he's going to benefit from it because he finished 6th. But drivers like Joey Logano need an ass whooping. Because they're just going to keep abusing the field. And no one's going to do anything about it. But anyways, back to the point. For the road course, I feel like that's just a... That the clown show that everyone wants to use. It seems like the name, the word of the week for this race was clown. But to continue on that term, a clown show, that's a driver etiquette issue. And this track just showed it. It's not a track issue necessarily. It's a driver etiquette issue. Now, what about the oval? Because everyone's clamoring for the oval to come back now, even though they didn't want the oval for over a decade. Now all of a sudden they want it back. But what about the oval? The next-gen car could probably race better at the IMS Oval. I say we'll really find out once we race at Michigan how better it will be, but Pocono was a solid race, Michigan's looking to be a solid race, and maybe it would race better, we don't know. However, what are the disadvantages? No one showed up to the Brickyard beforehand. TV ratings just came out. I think the road course had about 3.3 million viewers compared to 2.8 last year, so they increased the viewership by 500,000. So people are starting to watch the road course now. No one was watching the Oval. No one was showing up to watch the Oval. And let's not act like the Brickyard isn't known for, you know, lack of a better term, clown shows. I mean, 2008 is a prime example where Goodyear couldn't even make a tire to last even one corner. And look at 2017 when the entire field was wrecking left and right. I mean, I think we had about five to seven overtimes. I remember being at the hospital that one day just watching the race. I'm literally asking myself, are we going to finish? If you're at a point when you're a race fan and you're just asking, can we just get this over with? That's how you know we're in for a treat in terms of a disaster. So the Oval isn't immune to having races that aren't just complete other disasters. They both can. Now, with that being said, the Oval does have prestige. Brickyard 400, a former crown jewel. Drivers have said they wanted to go back to the Oval. Drivers like Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Eric Jones have said that. But at the same time, why is it prestigious? Is it because of NASCAR? Or is it because of IndyCar and the Indy 500? At the very least, you could say that the Brickyard Road, the Indianapolis Road Course, you can make an argument that's NASCAR's own thing. Yeah, IndyCar race on the road course, but no one says a NASCAR is trying to pedal off of IndyCar with that. But if they were to go back to the Brickyard, you'd hear the same stories. Because you know people aren't going to shut up about it. They're going to say, oh, the Brickyard 400 is only there just to leech off of the Indy 500 and IndyCar. You'll hear it back. I guarantee it. So, with all that, in my opinion, I'd rather stay at the road. If we had no choice but to go at the oval or the road course, I'd rather stay at the road course. You have a better product. You're going off of what we've seen versus a what if. You're going off of fixing driver etiquette versus spread out racing. And again, driver etiquette is still thrown out the window most of the time when it does come to the Brickyard 400. Again, 2008 and 2017 are prime examples. But, what if we were to live in a perfect world? What if we were to live in a world where we can really have what we want to determine the Brickyard Indianapolis weekend for NASCAR? And in my opinion, I have two options. Number one, just go to IRP. NASCAR is known for short track oval racing. Just go to the short track. 
I don't want to hear about the infrastructure. NASCAR can really invest in it. If NASCAR has enough money to put into Chicago for a street course and put into the LA Coliseum to make that into a proper short track at a quarter mile, then NASCAR can and should reinvest into IRP. I guarantee you that would really make it its own thing and they really wouldn't have to leech off of something like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. However, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, in the same vein as Circuit of the Americas, well, obviously to a more prestigious standpoint, you can't leave IMS. It's too important of a racetrack. I mean, IMSA's coming back to IM IMSA's going to IMS, and Formula One was even talking about coming back to IMS at some point in the future. So I say for my second option, and I will say this was, wasn't my original opinion. I, I heard this from David Land, and I agree with him 100%, which is David Land, the YouTuber, by the way. But have one race, two, have a Brickyard 400 weekend. 200 miles on the road course, 200 miles on the oval. Both points paying races. Both get the win. Add it to the record books. And then have the overall Brickyard 400 weekend champion, the driver with the best average finish. I think that works. You make the Brickyard a weekend event. You send Xfinity back to IRP with the truck series. Make that a nice little doubleheader weekend for the short track. You allow the big boys to be at the big boy track. And it really makes it special. You can't say that NASCAR is leeching off of IndyCar because, okay, IndyCar doesn't do that. I mean, no other sport would really do that. NASCAR would do that. I think that's a great alternative for NASCAR. Have a Brickyard 400 weekend. One race on the road course, 200 miles. One race on the oval, 200 miles. Shorter distance will especially make the drivers more anxious at the pressure, especially for the oval. So you probably have less spread out racing than you would in years past. And I think that's the best solution for Indianapolis. But between the road course and the oval, if you had to ask me, which one would I prefer? From what we've seen with the road course now, from what we've seen the oval in the past, from the TV rating that literally just dropped less than an hour ago, look, signs are looking up for the road course. I'd rather stay at the Indianapolis road course and go to the oval. I think there's a lot more potential and a lot better product there than racing on the oval again, where we just be in the same song and dance as we were in years past. Alright, so let's talk about the IndyCar title battle. We have four races to go left in the season. This week, we got the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix at Nashville, the street course. Next up, we got the Bomberio Automotive Group 500, Gateway Motorsports Park, which Worldwide Technology Raceway. Then we got the Grand Prix of Portland and ending off the season with the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey, racing at, I believe it was Lucaseca. So, with four races left, let's take a look at our title. Let's take a look at our title protagonist, who has the best shot of potentially taking the championship. And who's really only going to be there just, you know, kind of just like as a bystander. Let's start off with our points leader, Will Power. Throughout the first 13 races of the season, he has one win, seven podiums, three poles, has led 188 laps, and has a 6.1 average finish, which is currently the best in the league so far. He has a nine-point gap over Marcus Erickson, a 32-point gap over Joseph Newgarden, 38 over Scott Dixon, and 46 points over Paddle Award. Who are your top five in the standings? Will Power has been having the season that I think Will Power has been needing for many, many years. And that is a quiet season where he just delivers consistent results. It's felt like for the past few years that Will Power has been doing either two things. Either he's been winning a lot or he's been inconsistent. 
or in a lot of cases, it's been a mix of both. So with that being said, Will Power, he was in the conversation throughout the entirety of the season. 13 lead lap finishes on the season, most among all drivers, tied with Scott Dixon. And again, has also the most miles of the season also. Again, tied with Scott Dixon as well with 3,025.94, so about 3,026 miles he's ran. So he's been the most consistent, one of the most consistent drivers all year. He hasn't finished outside the lead lap at all. So Will Power thing is in prime position to potentially hoist his second IndyCar championship, which would be a long time coming considering he is one of the greatest IndyCar drivers of all time. Now, what do I think Will Power needs to do? I think he needs to win another race in order to fully cement himself. Yes, he's got seven podiums on the year, which is tied for mo which is the most in the league, but he needs to get a second win. If he can get that second win, I think he will clearly make himself the championship favorite going into the last couple races of the season. With that average finish, with those wins, with that one win, those podiums, he's even led 188 laps, which is third best in this league so far. So with all that being said, I like Will Power. He just pretty much has to cruise. If he could cruise, not make any mistakes, nab himself a win just to sue it up, I think Will Power will hoist the trophy at season's end. Now, let's talk about the guy in second place, Marcus Erickson. One win and three podiums on the year, only 36 laps led, but a 7.4 average finish, which is the second most in the tied for the second best in the league. And he's tied for second best in terms of lead lap finishes with 11. Marcus Erickson, he's had a year where he's been good, but you don't feel like he's in the championship battle. Like, he's top two, he's only nine points behind, but I mean, he's only led 36 laps, not even 40. He only has three podiums which there's multiple drivers who have more podiums than him, even guys not even in the championship conversation, like Polo and McLaughlin have more podiums than Marcus Erickson. So for Marcus Erickson to win the title, he has to start feeling like he's in the championship conversation. Because right now he just feels like he's running a run where Marcus Erickson runs. And really the only reason I feel like he's in the conversation is because he did win the Indianapolis 500 and he did manage to grab those double you know, double points for the race. So, if Marcus Erickson wants to win the championship, that team needs to start feeling like they're a championship team. Because right now, they don't. They don't feel like a championship team. They just feel like a team that's just running where they should, but somehow in the champ, but just so happen to be in the championship conversation. Everything, if Marcus Erickson can bring up that extra step, like I feel like they need to, then I could see Marcus Erickson overtake your willpower to hoist the trophy. But, do I think it's going to happen? I don't think so because, again, that team just doesn't feel like a championship team. Third on the grid is Joseph Newgarden with the most wins in the series with four, but only four podiums, all those being his wins. However, he does have the most laps in the series with 432. However, a detriment to him is that he has the second worst average finish among the drivers in the top five with a 9.4 average finish. This feels like a very 2018 season for Newgarden in the sense of, He's either winning or he's non-existent. Again, all four of his podiums have come from his wins. Now, he has won a lot, but in IndyCar, it's not like NASCAR, where you just have to win, and that's basically all you got to do. IndyCar, you need to be consistent. And there have been drivers who have been arguably more consistent than Joseph Newgarden. Scott Dixon's got a better average finish. Alex Plow's got a better average finish. And obviously, the two title contenders, Will Power and Marcus Erickson, have better average finishes. So if Newgarden really wants to be in the championship conversation, he has to do two things. He has to win out at least the next two, at least two of the next race of the season, in order to at least 
have the winning overcompensate his lack of consistency, or he has to start building consistency. It has to be one or the other. Because when you have the worst, because when you've had run the least amount of laps out of any one of the top five, that shows me that you're not even around that much in order to be that consistent. So if Willpower, if not Willpower, if Joseph Newgarden wants to win the championship, either win out or find some consistency. Those are his only two options. Fourth on the grid is Scott Dixon with one win and two podiums and 162 laps led, which is the second worst out of, which is actually the third best out of any driver in the top five. A 6.9 average finish, which is third among all active drivers. Again, tied with Will Power in terms of lead lap finishes and laps run and miles run. But Scott Dixon, besides Toronto, he's been kind of non-existent. Only two podiums on the year. He's led 162 laps, but most of that came from Toronto. He's consistent, but he's not consistently up front with the likes of Power and Erickson, even though he does have the second best average finish in the league. So what does Scott Dixon need to do? Start getting more results. Get more wins. Get more podiums. Be more at the top of the chain rather than being towards 4th, 5th, 6th. Because that won't get you enough to win the IndyCar title. It will get you enough maybe for a top 5 points finish, but not enough to hoist the Astro Cup. So what does Dixon need to do? He needs to start getting more prominent results. And finally, we'll talk about Padua Ward, who's 5th in the standings with 2 wins, 4 podiums, 155 laps led, which is currently the second worst out of anyone in the top five, and he has a 10.4 average finish, which is worst among all drivers in the top five in points. He only has nine lead lap finishes, which I don't like, which is worst, the worst out of anyone in the top five in points, and I believe it's either in the top five in terms of drivers' lead lap finishes throughout the entire season. So, with all that being said, what does it, what does Award got to do? Same thing as Dixon and Newgarden. Be more consistent. Be consistently up front. Get those second and third place finishes. Get those good points. Because right now, you're 46, you're 46 points back. It's not looking like you're going to catch up anytime soon. You need to bring that average finish at least down to single digits. If you can do that, then I think that Pelot, then not Pelot, that award can at least be in the conversation come Laguna Sega. If he keeps running like he is, where he's either, if he can't be flirting with a podium, he needs to get the podium. If he doesn't, I don't think Polo Award will win the championship. And as for drivers outside the top five in points, I'll just briefly go over them. I think Alex Polo, he has the third best average finish of the league, 8.5. But too much turmoil around the team, lawsuits, confusion. I don't like the aura around that team. I think Polo is out of the equation. Scott McLaughlin, he has the second most laps in the league with 295. However, he's not consistent enough with a 10.5 average finish. Worse than everyone above him. I don't see that happening, especially with only nine lead lap finishes. Rossi, he's been decent, but the 12.2 average finish, I don't see that happening. And just to round out the top 10, Felix Rosenquist and Colton Herter, they're too far behind, including Rossi, to even, even be someone in the conversation. But, that's your preview of what the next four races are going to look like in the top for the rest of the season. Again, for some drivers, just cruise to what you've been doing, and then you'll win the cup. For other drivers, they need to bump up the intensity. Other drivers, they need a Hail Mary. But that's what I like about IndyCar racing. You have a mix of what certain drivers need to do. Some need to win more. Some just need to keep doing what they're doing. Others need to get more consistent. Others need to get more speed. You have a lot of different variables for this IndyCar championship. And that's why I love IndyCar racing. Even though I don't talk about it that much, when I do talk about it, I sure as hell do enjoy it. Alright, so this is kind of one, um, a segment that I kind of just threw in at the last minute because 
we had some breaking news yesterday where it was announced that Fernando Alonso signed a multi-year contract to drive for Aston Martin for 2023 and beyond. Now, obviously we know Sebastian Vettel, he's retiring this year in order to spend more time with his family, so that lead that's left the seat open for Aston Martin because you know they're not going to drop Lance Stroll when his dad owns the team. But Fernando Alonso, I don't know what he's thinking because it would make, it would, I, here's the thing about Alonso. I would probably be less vocal or less, you know, critical of this move if he just said he loves racing so much he wants to stay on the grid. But instead of that, he says, I want to win. I want to compete for wins, for championship, because I know I can. So if you know you can, why are you going from a team that looks like they're on the up and outpine to the second worst car on the grid? I mean, I've talked about it a little bit on Twitter, but Aston Martin has shown no signs in the past couple seasons that they're in any way, shape, or form going to be contending for wins. They were either the third or the fourth worst car on the grid last year, and this year they're the second worst car on the grid. I mean, they've had to resort to cheating again by cheating Red Bull's side pod design, and even that's barely been working for them. Now, th from what I've heard from what everything is coming off of, now it's even starting to sound even more confusing, and again, McLaren is somehow involved, but with everything being said, to me it sounds like it sounds like Alonso got pushed out by Alpine. Alpine was like, all right, we need Piastri. Piastri needs to be in our team, so we need to take kick Alonso to the curb because we signed Esteban Ocon to a long-term contract. It sounds like Alonso got pushed out more than he wanted to leave Alpine. Because if you if Alonso truly means what he says and he wants to be a race-winning contender again, why are you going to go to the team with the second-worst car on the grid that has shown no sign of improvement over the past two years? It's not like McLaren or Alpine where you've seen improvements. Aston Martin has been anything than going backwards rather than forwards. So, if you're Fernando Alonso, just say that you just enjoy racing. You love Formula 1, you want to stay in the sport, and you don't think your time is up. Kind of like what Kimi Raikkonen said. But when you say things like, I want to compete for wins, I want to compete for championships, and then you make moves like this, people just think that they don't take you seriously. In fact... People are already saying that Fernando Alonso is seriously one of the worst drivers when it comes to making decisions on who to race for throughout his entire career. Because think about it. He went to McLaren, a race-winning, a championship contender, and he turned it into a toxic fireball. Then he left. He got resorted back to Renault when they were at their worst, or one of their worst periods, even though I think he nabbed the win or two. Then he moved to Ferrari when Ferrari was on the downturn. Less of a downturn than they were in 2020-2021, but still a downturn. Then he went to McLaren, when they were definitely at the downturn. Then he left Formula 1, then he went back to Alpine. A solid move. But people were questioning when he said he wanted to race for wins at championships. But people gave him the benefit of the doubt because of new regulations. New regulations come. Alpine looks pretty decent. In my opinion, they're clearly the best car in the midfield. So what does Alonso do? Again, my opinion, he got kicked out. But assuming he left on his own terms... Yeah, let me go from the best car in the midfield, who has a who clearly has a progression going upward, to the second worst car in the grid with no clear path forward. If Fernando really wants to win races, I'm really starting to question like his Then you have to question his decision making at that point. If he got kicked out and he just doesn't want to admit it, then I understand. 
But then just say you love racing Formula 1, you don't want to leave. But don't say you want to compete for wins at championships when everyone knows you're going to have a clear downgrade compared to last year. So, Alonso going to Aston Martin, a complete head-scratcher. If you would just say he just loves F1, he wants to be in F1, kind of like how Colton Herta and all these other IndyCar drivers are saying, they say F1 is my dream, I want to race in F1. They don't talk about they want to win championships or compete for races because they're not going to do it with McLaren. But Alonso saying he wants to win races and compete for championships, but sign with the second-worst team on the grid, just like the rest of his career, it's a head-scratcher for me when it comes to Fernando Alonso. All right, everyone, here we go. It is time for our race weekend ranking, sponsored by Johnny B's Barbershop. If you live in the South Florida area in desperate need of a haircut, head over to Johnny B's Barbershop on Davy Road Extension and Sterling Road. Rob, Johnny, Will, and the rest of the crew will not only give you the best haircut you've ever received, but a friendly atmosphere you do not receive at any other barber chains or any other barbershops, period. So head over to Johnny B's Barbershop again on Sterling Road and Davy Road Extension and tell them that the Motorsport Minister sent you. So... We got five races to rank here today. We got trucks at IRP, Xfinity Cup, and IndyCar at the Indy Road Course, and we got the Formula One race at Hungary. So let's begin by talking about number five on the list, and that is going to go to the Truck Series race at IRP. Best moment for me is going to go to the Battle of the Win, where Chandler Smith managed, I think it was either Christian Eckes or Chandler Smith, I don't remember at this moment, but they managed to get the win after a long battle. Locking themselves into the playoffs or locking themselves into the next round of the playoffs. Worst moment for me, I'm going to give it to the lack of respect on track entirely. From Carson Hosevar and Colby Howard to John Hunter Nemechek just wrecking other drivers. All of these instances where it just shows that the truck series feels like a shell of its former self. Gone are the days of respectful veterans trying to make a name for themselves. And just a bunch of young guys in over their heads just wanting to wreck each other as soon as they get a chance at it. It's why the Truck Series is looking more and more like the Arca Series every single day. And that is really what's going to bring this race down very low. I'm really the reason why this race is number 5 on my list. Because the lack of respect, it's more of a demolition derby nowadays and a true race. I'm giving this race a 4 out of 10. Number 4 on the list, I'm going to give it to the IndyCar race at Indianapolis. With the best moment for me going to Alexander Rossi ending his winless streak. Haven't had won a race since 2019, 2020, and 2021 being the low points of his career. But he never gave up. Clear improvement was seen this year, and he managed to nab himself a win at the IMS Road Course, ending that winless streak before he makes the move to McLaren. Great job, Alexander Rossi. Worst moment for me is going to go to the issues with Colton Hurd and Felix Rosenquist. Two of the best cars all race long. Rosenquist on the pole, but it was all for naught due to different engine or different other mechanical failures. You never like to see that, especially out of race winning contenders. That's why. And this is a race where it was all right. It wasn't a great IndyCar race, but it was an average race. So because of that, I will give it a 5 out of 10. Number 3 on the list, I'm going to give it to the Xfinity race at Indianapolis. With the best moment for me going towards AJ Allmendinger breaking the all-time record for wins at a road course in, NAS in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. 9 Xfinity wins at the road course. 11 all-time in NASCAR if you count as 2 Cup Series wins, which I believe is the most of all time in terms of road course wins. So great job, A.J. Allmendinger, breaking that record. I always like to see records broken. Worst moment for me is going to go to Ross Chastain versus Sh Sheldon Creed, excuse me, where Ross Chastain just for some reason hooked Sheldon Creed and spun him out. Sheldon Creed is trying to make his way into the playoffs in Xfinity. Ross Chastain is just racing there just to race. And I don't see why Ross Chastain is trying to make enemies in Xfinity. There really was no reason to do that. 
but it's Ross Chastain. I shouldn't be surprised. That's my worst moment of the race. And my WTF moment of the race is going to go to the Monster Energy Spin, where Josh Berry, involved in both instances, wrecked both Ty Gibbs and Riley Herbst, spun them both out, even though the latter two managed to have some nice recoveries. Though Josh Berry, I think he ended up going to the garage at that point also. Overall, it was a fairly solid race, a decent race. I'm going to give this race a 7 out of 10. Number 2 on the list, I'm going to give it to the Formula 1 race at Hungary, the Hungarian Grand Prix. Best moment for me, I'm going to give it to Max Verstappen's overall drive. Going from 10th on the grid, going all the way to the front, spinning out, and having to do it all over again, and still manage to win the race fairly comfortably. That's a sign of a great driver, a championship contender, to be up when the chips are down. Max Verstappen's drive was one of my best was my best moment of the race. Worst moment for me is going to go to Ferrari's strategy. Matteo Bonato said that there aren't going to be any changes needed for Ferrari, and at some point, if Bonato manages to fall below Mercedes and the constructors, who they're only 30 points ahead, we'll probably see a change in terms of the team principal position, because why would you put your drivers on the hards and have them drop down the field? Makes zero sense to me. I don't understand Ferrari's strategy. I don't think anyone does, not even Ferrari themselves. That was the worst moment of the race for me. Overall, it was a fairly decent little race. You know, you had all the drivers are fairly close. No one really looked like they had a clear shot at winning. Seven drivers felt like they could win at any given moment. Excuse me, six. So because I'm going to give this race a a 7.5 out of 10, giving that .5. And number one on the list is going to go to the Cup Series race at Indianapolis. Best moment for me? Going to be a controversial take for Ross Chastain versus Tyler Reddick. I know what Ross Chastain had to do by taking the access curve was, wasn't the best thing to do. However, the battle between him and Reddick was still fantastic. Even if Ross Chastain wasn't going to get penalized, it was still great racing to watch. Watching Tyler Reddick cleanly have to get by Chastain, especially on the outside of one of the turns, that was fantastic racing to watch. Worst moment for me is going to go to the Kyle Larson and Tyler Reddick crash. I mean, Kyle Larson... They came out that there was no mechanical failures with the car, but Kyle Larson just plowing into Ty Dillon at full speed. It was a scary accident, a scary crash. Ty Dillon, just a poor bystander. You don't want to see wrecks like that ever, so that's the worst moment of the race for me. And my WTF moment of the race is going to go to just Ross Chastain at the last lap. He literally did pretty much any... He pretty much did this. If you've ever played Mario Kart or Fall Guys and you take the shortcut to the course, that is what Ross Chastain trying to do, tried to do. It was something I don't think anyone saw coming, though looking at it now, it is probably the most Ross Chastain thing Ross Chastain could do without wrecking somebody, and it was just hilarious to watch. So that's my WTF moment of the race. Overall, like I said in my first segment, the racing was great, a lot of good battles, some low moments, some wacky moments. That, again, I think is more due to driver etiquette than anything. So because of that, I'm going to give this race an 8 out of 10. And that's going to end your Race Weekend Rankings, again, sponsored by Johnny B's Barbershop. And we'll jump straight into our verse of the week, our final segment of the episode. And here it is. With the Book of Bricks, Chapter 8, Verse 27, our verse of the week is, Ain't no Verstappen, Verstappen. If you guys don't know what that means, Verstappen, 13 races into the season, has won 8 of them, arguably should have won 9 or 10 of them so far. He's been clear-cutting away the best driver with no one even coming close. More than three races worth of points ahead of Leclerc. There's no stopping Verstappen at this point. He'd have to, he can miss three races this year and still lead the championship. So Max Verstappen, he's been the best driver all year. And that reflects on our verse of the week. Ain't no Verstappen, Verstappen. 
And that's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can search us up on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Amazon Music. You can find our entire back catalog. But once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.